0: Hi, everyone. Welcome back to the Extra Point Podcast. My name's Todd Stiles. Today is Tuesday, November 14th. Really glad you've joined us for this episode of looking back at the previous week's text and gathering some more information, looking deeper at observation, even making some further application. That's always the point of the Extra Point Podcast. And so glad you joined us today. Uh, I want to take a couple of questions that have come in over the last couple of weeks today and then end with just a little bit of a surprise that I think you'll really enjoy and really like. So let's jump right in, shall we? A couple of questions. We are working our way through the book of Job. At this point, uh, we just finished week four. We conclude next week, uh, week five. And so it's been a a rather quick series through a large book, but that's on purpose. And just as a preface to the questions, uh, actually, I guess you could call it a third question, really. But someone asked me, why such a quick jaunt through this book, when sometimes we'll take, you know, 25 to 30 weeks in a four-chapter book. And here's the, the most transparent answer is, I, I do feel a weight, an appropriate, I guess you could call it a hermeneutical weight or a textual weight, to approach the book the way it was written. Uh, you know, when you're preaching, one of the things you want to do is you want to make sure that you're preaching, the tone of your preaching uh, matches the tone of the text. That's kind of a you could call it a homiletical or even a hermeneutical type of principle or law or rule that pastors and preachers want to follow. Uh, and so I think that's even true when you look at the genre um, and, and how the book's written, how it's structured. you want that to govern how you approach it? And I do think the book is for the most part, um, you know, divided into or broken into about five sections. Um, they center around the main characters, and so I felt that was the most uh, honest uh, way to look at the book and to analyze it and to draw from it, really the intended truth that God wants it to have. Of course, you know, you're always thinking about authorial intent when you look at a book. Regardless of its length, you want to ask, what did the author intend to communicate through this book? So I think the structure of the book, the genre, uh, all of those things leaned into me just seeing that I think the, the authorial intent of Job is best seen if we take it in the five sections in which it's written. And even though they're large, I think um, try to handle them that way, break them down that way, let you see them that way. I think you'll get the main point that God is trying to communicate to us through that book in that way. So that's what we did. Hope it's a good answer for you. Um, here's the questions though that came in um Besides that one, which has kind of been one I've heard you know for a few weeks, but here's the two that have come in specifically. Uh, one, multiple people ask me in written form and in verbal form, how did Job know that he was blameless? Uh, we made this case, I think it was week two, um, a pretty strong case where he stood against his three friends and maintained, his uh, blamelessness is the word used a good bit in Job. I think he uses the word innocence. He also uses the word integrity. And so you've got to remember this question is really um, insightful because we look back, we have the end of the story, and we have the setting of the divine council in heaven, and we have all of this background information that Job didn't have. So when we read the story, It makes sense to us why Job would say he's blameless because we knew that he was. God declared he was. Uh, And so we know the beginning and end. But Job did not know what was going on in the divine council. He was not to the end of the story yet. So he's going through an immense and intense amount of suffering without having really any explanation during it at all, which explains why he's wanting an opportunity to present his case to God. But multiple times he does maintain his blamelessness, his integrity, that he did not, as his friends accused him of, commit a sin uh, upon which God is now judging him. That's the point of their three speeches. You must have done something in your actions that's wrong, and now it's clear in the moment that you are being judged. He says, no, that's not true. And the question is, how did Job know that so confidently? And I'm going to admit to you, I don't know if we have a a clear, you know, definitive answer. We've got to make some assumptions here, maybe surmise some things. I'm going to tell you what I think, though. You can disagree, you can agree, maybe make this better as you think about it and process it, but I put a lot of stock into the first six verses of Job 27 to answer this question. We did cover it in, I think, week two, but not very much. We just kind of looked at it briefly. But this is where Job, uh, beginning in verse 4, he, he, uh, he spends the first six verses, first of all, um, exclaiming and proclaiming and in, in pretty good detail, uh, maintaining his blamelessness, his integrity. Um, beginning in verse four, though, he says his lips will not speak unjustly. His tongue will not utter deceit. He's speaking to his friends here. I'll never affirm that you are right. I'll maintain my integrity. And he starts there with what he has said and what he's going to continue to say. Uh, somewhat of an external understanding of his actions. I think he has looked back at his actions, and as far as he can tell, there's been no intentional uh, sin that he can recall uh, uh, to which God would respond in a punitive fashion. So I think there's an external evaluation Job has made that's uh, implied in these verses. Furthermore, I know that the Bible says in the first part of Job, and even in the last part, um, that Job would make daily offerings for his children in case they sinned. So interesting verse. The point is, Job was a regular daily worshiper. And can we even say the word confessor? In other words, I think he knew that. He knew that he was maintaining regular moments of confession. He had evaluated his actions. And so he says to his friends, God's not punishing me because as far as I can tell from an external evaluation. There's not a sin that I've not tried to deal with or been honest about that, that I'm hiding that God's now punishing. But I think he goes a step further in verse 6 when he says, I will cling to my righteousness. I'll never let it go. My conscience will not accuse me as long as I live. And he goes a step deeper here into an internal evaluation, and he speaks about his conscience. I think this is why I, I think Job knew that he was blameless, or that he was full of integrity, that he was innocent before the Lord, and that he was not being punished because his conscience was clear. And again, I can't prove that. It's not a definitive answer as in the Bible says this explicitly, but I do think it's interesting here. Job goes below an external evaluation, and he gets to an internal evaluation. And as far as he can tell, his conscience is clear. And the, the New Testament speaks about our conscience a good bit, uh, how it's a God-given tool to help us, uh, you know, evaluate, discern. Uh, Paul even said uh, a couple of times that he was serving with a clear conscience. I've always been amazed at that because think about all the uh, people that Paul interacted with, the times he corrected um, and even gave really good instruction uh, to get some folks back on the way, the way he uh, dealt with churches, uh, exercised church discipline. He gave commands through the Holy Spirit. Um, he, he spoke many things that often, I'm sure, in those churches they had to hear, and they probably didn't like it. He spoke clearly with multiple crowds in his evangelism, and yet through all of those moments, both um, as a shepherd and as a, as he said, like a mother and father, you know, in Thessalonica. And yet, often he said he would speak uh, clearly and boldly. Uh, so he wouldn't have to come and do this in person. I mean, amidst all of those circumstances, Paul said he was he had served with a clear conscience. And I think Paul as well put a lot of stock into this internal tool that God gives us to evaluate, where have I crossed a line? Where have I done wrong? And, and though it is somewhat subjective in one sense, we hold our conscience, of course, under the weight and authority of the Word of God. And there is a point in which this internal evaluation does serve as a, as a way to either um, let us know that, yes, we have crossed the line and we have sinned in a way uh, that we are being convicted and then uh, you know, punished and chastised, so to speak, by God. But it also serves as a way to affirm that, no, as far as I can tell, even upon external evaluation, my internal uh, divinely given conscience— uh, which could, should be sensitive and clean and clear. It is exactly that. It's clean, it's clear, and there's nothing that I can uh, put a finger on that would be a reason for God to punitively uh, act uh, in this way towards me. And so I think if I had to answer the question, how did Job know he was blameless? I would say because he worked his way down to his conscience and could find no, no known sin that he was intentionally hiding, and I think the key there is the word conscience. So take care for what it's worth. Uh, You're welcome to make that answer better. You're welcome to disagree. You can agree, but I would encourage you to process it and think about it, and it's the beauty of a God-given conscience in keeping us in a place where we are rightfully serving others and worshiping the Lord. The next question, and this was the last one for today, is One that came in from a few people as they've just kind of been hearing the messages and processing the book, talking in their small groups. They said this, they asked this question, is this approach for all trials, all consequences, all suffering, anything that we go through that is difficult or that we're not sure we understand, is this what Job is aiming at? Now notice that in their question, they use the word approach. And that is because we have essentially outlined three approaches uh, to understanding suffering. There's the humanly judicial approach, uh, and then there's the mentally theological approach. The one that I think the Lord lays out for Job is the sovereignly personal approach. So that's what they're referencing when they talk about the word, when they say, is this approach for all trials? And I'm going to land here uh, and just kind of tell you my answer first of all and then we'll just kind of extrapolate that just for a few seconds. but I do believe job specifically is aimed at um, suffering that we didn't ask for. all right? So if you took the three approaches and you said we know the humanly judicial approach falls short. We know that the mentally theological approach is incomplete, but we know that the sovereignly personal approach, is fully adequate. And so we've explained those in our messages and we've used the scriptures to kind of highlight why. If if you had to add in answering this question, I would say this: that the sovereignly personal approach is specifically in Job. It's aimed at helping us answer the why question when we're experiencing suffering we didn't ask for. I think that's the most textual way to see it. It's the most consistent way of course, of of understanding Job and keeping it within its context. Now, let me extrapolate that just for a moment. That doesn't mean that we can't utilize certain principles or even let this approach ripple out into other areas and glean from it. We can still reap some really good benefits from understanding how God works with us and deals with us in times when we are suffering in ways... And uh, because, you know, for things we didn't really ask for. Like, for instance, if we're in a long trial that's actually the consequence of of sin that we committed earlier, I think there are still things we can learn from Job that would help us in those moments. But I don't think Job is technically and textually aimed at that situation. Does that make sense? Um, if we're going through a, a um, let's say, Uh, a punishment for a sin, or maybe it's a trial from someone else's mistake and we know exactly what happened and we're kind of enduring the consequences of that. You could think of multiple situations that would not fall in the category of suffering that we didn't ask for and that we're not sure why. Can we have no understanding, no reason, there's nothing in our framework that, that would give us insight into why this is occurring. I think that's exactly what Job's aimed at. And so the sovereignly personal approach is aimed at that. But I do think there are things that, can we use the word kind of overflow into other things like consequences, uh, trials, um, things that we know why they're happening, at least to a large degree, there are still principles from the sovereignly personal approach that can help us in those moments. So I hope that as a helpful answer to the question, let's not resist um Gleaning things from the edges, we'll call it, that will help us in all situations. But in the most technically and textual way, I do think what we've seen emerge and surface from the chapters of Job is an approach that helps us uh, most precisely when we're going through suffering that we didn't ask for. Lastly, I want to provide you with a, a surprise, and we could even call it a gift. Um, I want you to hear a song that one of our uh, members wrote and recorded. In fact, I think it gets released this Friday on Spotify and iTunes. Um, but I had a chance to just sit down and chat with Micah Smith. Um, and Micah can speak for himself. And I think uh, you know, his story is one that God has worked in his life. And it's just a beautiful story of, of uh, this man just continuing to grow and trust the Lord uh, but he's written a song in response to the book of Job uh, and even some of our messages and some of his small group discussions and just how the Holy Spirit has worked in his life and and really just um, led him to pen some words that, in all frankness, are a little haunting and yet they're very comforting. I think you'll love the, the lyrics of this uh, tune. I think you'll love the catchiness of it. Uh, it is very reflective. It has a little bit of a lamenting feel I, as well. I think when I listen to it, I sense some of that as well. Kind of reminded me of our time in Psalms. But I'm so thankful and appreciative for Micah's um, reflection upon uh, this book of Job, his own personal interest and how it has helped him. And so he penned these words, wrote the music, and then recorded it. Gets released Friday. And so he was mentioning to me when we met. Hey, if you want to share that, because I asked him if I could, I share it with people. And He said, man, if you want to use it on your podcast, he said, use it however you want to help and serve others. And I'm so thankful for his graciousness and his gratefulness um, and his willingness just to uh, let us use this in a way that will help our church. So enjoy this song. It's called, Are You There? by Micah Smith. I pray it will minister to your soul and to help you today as you walk uh, in trust and in faith in the Lord God Almighty.
1: Days like this, my spirit groans. Your hand is heavy on my soul. If only I knew where to go to make my case before your throne.